you're listening to Rock, Pop, and Roll. Rock, pop, and roll. Yes, it is. Those are. We're going to talk more about the Del Fuegos. I'm reading. Uh, this is Rock, Pop, and Roll, episode 37. I'm reading a book. Just got finished reading uh, the new Warren Zanes. Uh, he's the author. Wrote um, Deliver Me from Nowhere. Inside look at Bruce Springsteen recording the album Nebraska. Great, great read. He also wrote the biography, Tom Petty just before Tom died, 2015, 2016. Anyway, read that book, read the Springsteen book written by Warren Zanes, who used to uh, be the guitar player in uh, the Del Fuegos uh, before he went on to other things, uh, including getting a PhD. <laughs> yeah, so in the book, uh, that song, Backseat Nothing from the Del Fuegos, uh, Warren tells a story that he met Springsteen one time in in the rock and roll circles that intersected. I believe the story was Springsteen came back to see them. First thing that Bruce said was, man, I love that backseat nothing song. Hey, uh, rock, pop, and roll. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. We're going to take a listen. The greatest, some of my favorite roots rock and roll bands of the 1980s. And it's going to be, I have... Oh, so many songs, uh, pieces to play to remind us. And so we're going to dive into it. And here's some Roots Rock that, that, that was formative for me listening to it because I was, a, I was a Heartland rock and roll guy. You know, Springsteen, Bob Seger, Mellencamp, uh, a little garage rock thrown in there, the Jay Giles Band, stuff like that. And then the Roots Rock of the mid-'80s, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, heyday, maybe. But there were some bands that that took me from that heartland rock that I still love into this place where it it wasn't punk, it wasn't new wave, it was Americana roots rock and roll. And there were so many bands that varying degrees of success, that's what we're going to talk about as we talk about rock, pop, and roll. Rock and roll and pop music from the playlist of the decade of the 1980s. <laughs> 80s and beyond today, right? How you doing, Rob Nichols, with you? Recording from my kitchen table today. Normally, typically, I'm in the home studio. So you may hear, you may hear some dogs walking around, you may hear the birds a little bit. It's a beautiful day in central Indiana today in the 70s, a little breeze, sunshine, blue skies, sit at the kitchen table, see out the big sliding glass window, and uh, makes me feel good. (laughs) 
so so let's define heartland rock and roll right that that term was first used in the early 70s midwestern arena rock springsteen seeger petty mellencamp you know you could go down to the michael stanley band does reo speedwagon certainly midwestern arena rock they fall into that category as heartland rock i don't know but i like both of them both of those roots rock came around in the mid 80s kind of garage-ish folkish harmonies rawness had a twang and guitars and drums and there was a crossover sound with heartland rock the rawness was what made it more roots rock let's dive into some of the bands and some of the stories and some of the songs and the music and maybe it'll trigger you to to go further investigate some of these bands because if you're listening to this podcast i would think at this point episode 37 anybody who's been around for a while knows what I like, you may know some of these bands. Some of them you may not. I discover bands all the time. I listened to last night, I was listening to The Revivalists have a new album. And you know there's bands out there that you just don't, you know, there's music, there's so much music to find. Sometimes you miss stuff. And even The Revivalists, they're on the radio, they're on our AAA Americana adult album-oriented music station here uh, around Indianapolis, WTTS, does a great job. They play the revivalist, but sometimes you just you, you don't find them until you really, something it was triggered last night in me, and then there was a playlist on Spotify of, of new releases, and then one of those was the revivalists, and I listened to it, I'm like, man, that is so good. Went back and listened to the whole album last night. So sometimes you just find stuff as you find stuff. Did you find the Del Fuegos? So they were on Slash Records, which had a lot of great bands like this. They released their first album, The Longest Day, back in 1984. That's where you know that song, Backseat Nothing, came from. The album that I found them on, that I got into, was their second album, Boston, Massachusetts, was the name of it. And at the time, they were there was a little, uh, oh, you know, uh, blowback from them doing a commercial for Miller Lite beer. But what I first heard was, I heard the album, I think I heard the album, I did see the commercial, but I heard the album before, uh, I fell in love with them before any of that happened. I was off of that Boston, Massachusetts album, and uh, I distinctly remember, and I've talked about him before, my great friend, the late Tom Smith. There was about five years that we spent together as uh, I was in college and, and just getting out of it, uh, college before I moved away to, to go do some, to go work at, in radio. Tom and I spent a lot of hours in the car, a lot of hours with the cassette, with the cassette player with the big speakers up in the back window. Del Fuegos, I distinctly remember. We were driving the back roads of the county where we were living on Jonesville Road, headed to play golf. He was a good golfer, taught me how to play. We played We played a lot. He was very patient. Listening to the Del Fuegos in this album, and uh, you just kept going back to it because it was discovering things along the way in songs. It's the best way. 
band had fans that included Tom Petty, a fan of the Del Fuegos. Uh, used them in a, as an opening act on, on one of his tours. It was the Del Fuegos, the Georgia Satellites, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And I remember getting out of I was working summer at a factory, pushing these two buttons, making something. I think it was for cars, but I was never very clear. Didn't matter. Four days a week, 10 hours a day. It's one of the worst jobs I ever had. So it was like 6 a.m. is when you had to start till whatever time they, you got off. Three o'clock. Tom picked me up from, I think it was a Thursday. Might have been a Friday. Picked me up and we had to go to Pine Knob Music Theater up near Detroit. So it was a couple hours, two, two and a half hours away, whatever. Uh, a bit of a drive. Picked me up just as soon as I got off work. We jumped in. We drove. We got there. Set in the lawn. Would have been 1987. Was that tour in 87? Sat in the lawn, and Petty was, he was big, but it wasn't like, he, it was before the, the, the solo album and Full Moon Fever and uh, Free Fallen and I Won't Back Down, and before all of that. So I don't remember it being packed, but I remember it being a great, great show, the Del Fuegos. We were like, man, we're seeing the Del Fuegos. Who knew? I mean, sometimes I lived in a little town in Michigan, and you, you know, you went to Detroit if you wanted to, to, to see uh, bands. That that weren't that was the closest place, and uh, so we were like, we're seeing the Del Fuego, who the you know, and then the Georgia Satellites came on and they rocked, and then Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers came on, they rocked. It was one of the, I think one of the five greatest best concerts I've been to was was this trio of bands. Are they gonna where are they gonna go? Well, they didn't go really anywhere. They found uh, some notoriety though, some. Some people noticed them from that, that beer commercial that I talked about. Some people thought, ah, sellout. This was 85, 1985. It was a band. Think about it. It was a band that didn't have anything, really. They were playing clubs, playing bars. Miller Beer says, hey, can you partner with us? Put your music in there. You'll talk about uh, your music. You'll talk about whatever it is. We'll put it, we'll cut it together, 60 seconds, and... If you're the Del Fuegos, you're like, sure, let's do that. And But people at that time, it was before everybody's music was in commercials. They screamed sellout. Here's that commercial. Rock and roll comes from what happens to you every day. It doesn't come from, from sitting down and thinking about it. it. It's about everyday things. You know, It's stripped down and it's simple. And it's, and it's talking about just people with each other. And it's not the kind of music that requires thought to understand it requires dancing you know what's right and you know what's wrong the streets alive you can hear it song the true test is if it comes back to you know if heads are bobbing up and down you, you know you're doing something right if you aren't honest about rock and roll or people can sense it and the rock won't stop cause it starts right here where people are dancing and pillars of And I think the blowback was because they re, they they sang like the, sang the jingle, right? Whatever, whatever. Uh, I love the Del Fuegos. They were dropped by Slash Records after their third album, 
Warren Zanes left the band, left the Del Fuegos, went on to get two master's degrees and a PhD in visual and cultural arts. Also was vice president of education at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Dan Zanes, I've seen Dan Zanes since, great little show. He, uh, in 2007, released Catch That Train, which won a Grammy for Best Musical Album for Children's. It became a children's um, artist, right? But it was it was good, good show. He had that spark of the rock and roll. Crowd loved it, kids loved it. Band got back together 2012 for an EP, Silver Star. They never really did much on the charts. The uh, That Boston Mass album went to 134 on the on the album billboard album 200 charts don't run wild was number 46 on the rock tracks they're probably their their most i don't know that did the best for them on those charts was uh, a song that went to number 33 on rock it was number 87 in the hot 100 that's as close as they got from that boston mass album Song called I Still Want You. A couple more albums Stand, Smoking in the Fields, Rock Pop and Roll. Those are the Del Fuegos. There you go. Uh, I love the Bodines. Kurt Newman and Sammy Lanis went to school together in Waukesha, Wisconsin, formed a band. T-Bone Burnett was the producer of their first album. In 87, Rolling Stones voted them the best new American band. What I remember the Bodines is they they would play a place called the Vogue in Indianapolis, a little theater for, you know, four, five, six, seven hundred people, however many they want to get in there. Old, uh, old movie theater that has been a longtime concert venue. Uh, they were going to work with Mike Campbell after 87. Uh, didn't do it. Uh, the story goes that he wanted them to go more in the Tom Petty sound. Obviously, makes sense, right? Wasn't where they wanted to go. So uh, they they produced an album, or Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads produced their, their second album. It was called Outside Looking In. And it didn't go to the Petty r- route, but it certainly uh, went more of that uh, AOR mainstream arena rock sound the first album was more uh, guitar rootsy second album with only love on it rocked Don't you know that this A big drum sound on that. They opened for uh, U2 on the Joshua Tree Tour. Uh, They also contributed, played on Robbie Robertson's debut uh, solo album. Had a song that went to number 32 on the rock charts uh, called 
uh, Dreams. Their third album was Home, produced by Jim Scott, who they met while they were recording with Robbie Robertson. They added a keyboard player to their lineup, Michael Ramos. Kenny Aronoff started playing drums with them, the great Kenny Aronoff, known for his work with John Mellencamp. They tracked most of the songs live at an abandoned shoe factory in downtown Milwaukee. You can hear the uh, U2 influence on, on some of the songs off of home, certainly. hit the rock charts it hit the modern rock charts you don't get my the u2 yes and, and though not a not a single the album's first track called good things has uh, since become one of the uh, more well-known songs in the bodine's catalog especially live I love the Bodines. Bodines are awesome live. They recorded next with David Z, who was a, a player in Prince's band. And they recorded at Prince's studio in Paisley Park uh, an album called Black and White. Only single on it was a song called Black, White, and Blood Red, which mid-30s on the rock charts. 93, one of my favorite albums from them, Go Slow Down, reunited with T-Bone Burnett, uh, more of a homemade, repo- uh, homemade stew of music. Uh, that was the album, though, that, that brought them a, their big blast of just a flame of fame. For just a minute, after the their song "Closer to Free" was the uh, theme song to the uh, Party of Five TV show, helped them uh, get into the Hot 100. The song went to number 16. This was the hit. This was the hit they were looking for. It's, it's a great rocker, and it's tied to the TV show, so some people may say, ah, it's a TV theme. It was on the album. So there you go. Bodines have got a great uh, uh, two-CD, two-disc, two multi-track, however you get your music, multi-track album called Joe Dirt Car that was released in 95. Ten albums between their debut in 2021 hit the... Billboard 200. Only two, though, outside looking in and home made it into the uh, top 100. Sammy Landis no longer with the band. He, 2011, uh, left uh, kind of ugly circumstances. And they continue on. Kurt continues with the band. They continue releasing music. One of their uh, more recent uh, pieces, of, pieces of music released a song called A Little More Time.
you can still see the Bodines out there. Kurt keeping the keeping the catalog alive. This is Rock, Pop, and Roll. I'm Rob. Thanks for tuning in. Rock, Pop, and Roll.com if you want to go somewhere and find everything that we have. All the uh, old episodes, the writing uh, that I've done. Rock, Pop, and Roll.com. Here, here's one. Here's a band. I'm in Indiana. This is Indiana Ties, although the band was formed in Gainesville, Florida. Tom Betty in 82 bunch of students at the University of Florida. Robert Ray was a professor, a film studies professor at the university. He became one of the group's two songwriters, two principal songwriters and singers. The other was Dale Lawrence, who was a former student of Ray's from Indiana. He was in a band, a punk band, early punk band called the Gizmos. Ray had grown up in Memphis, seen Elvis during the Sun era. The two, Dale and Robert, wrote songs by exchanging cassette tapes through the mail. Eventually, Lawrence left his band, moved it into the Boatman, the vulgar Boatman name. And the odd part of this band is there has been two bands, two bands called Vulgar Boatman, one that kind of played up in, in the Midwest, another that stayed down in the, the southeast in Florida. Dale Lawrence, who, by the way, wrote a great book many years ago about uh, the high school gymnasiums in Indiana. <laughs> worth checking out. Uh, they had a, they recorded three albums. Their debut was called uh, You and Your Sister. Got some radio airplay on WXRT in Chicago was one of their big breaks. a great uh, it's there's a little oddness to them but oddness in a inspiring way the vulgar bowman i mean the song's got hand claps come on love it they re-released a lot of this music uh remastered sounds very good the final album, Opposite Sex, never really got an official release. I don't know. I think Please Panic is 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 a great album that did get released uh, that had a song called You Don't Love Me Yet on it. Just now it's dark, radio's off, there's a pillow in the back of the car, and I go home and spend the night, get up tomorrow. Little surprises in all that music. I love it. Vulgar Boatman. Critics loved him. Fans who did find him loved him. I want to go back and do one more from the Vulgar Boatman. Song called uh, uh, Margaret Says. That's what Margaret says. Says. 
please, please go back and, and dig into the Volker Bowman catalog. There you go. It's rock, pop, and roll. I saw these guys live one time as they opened for uh, <laughs> they opened for the Doobie Brothers down in Louisville, Kentucky. I was lucky to see uh, one of my favorite bands out of Kansas City called the Rainmakers. Well, me and Mark Twain were having us a ball, telling each other lies, floating down from Hannibal with a bottle and a worm and a cane pole. We were fishing for secrets where the catfish crawl. The Mississippi River flowing downstream, meet the Gulf of Mexico somewhere downstream, meet the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Rainmakers had a little bit of success. I mean, they opened for the Doobie Brothers when the Doobie Brothers were playing 10,000 seat arenas. All right. Uh, they were big in Europe, though, especially in Norway, were the Rainmakers. Band had a self-titled 1986 debut album, had some good reviews. Newsweek said it's the most auspicious debut album of the year, reached number 87. On the Billboard album charts, Let My People Go-Go was, was a number 18 song in the UK. Uh, the follow-up was 87's Tornado album, peaked at 116 on the charts, had a rock track chart. A single called Snake Dance on it. They uh, had one more studio album. This is the one that I had in the cassette deck. 1989's The Good News and The Bad News. It was it was produced by uh, Jeff Glicksman, who was, at that time, he was also uh, doing the Georgia Satellites production work. So it had that big, uh, thudding, rock and roll snare sound, which was big at the time, and he, was, he, he loved that sound. Spend It on Love was on that album. Take a little bundle. Put her in a basket, leave her on the doorstep of the future her home. Spend it on love, spend it on the children, spend it on the ones who need it the most. Take a little bundle, put her in a basket, leave her on the doorstep of the future her home. Got to spend it on love, spend it on the children. So Rainmakers, they, they continued on. 2011, they, uh, after... Uh, Kind of being apart for a while, the original members, except for the original guitarist, Steve Phillips, uh, got back together in 2014. They made an album called Monster Movie. Steve Phillips passed away in, 2011, uh, in 2020. But you can still see the uh, the Rainmakers, you know, they'll play a show in Kansas City or they'll go to Norway. And you can see that on YouTube. Love the Rainmakers. Bob Walkenhorst singing. I'm wasting lots of time with some crazy little women. I'm calling in my cards for a misery girl. A misery girl, she got a crow over her shoulder. A misery girl, she got a twister in her heart. Gonna cross the chain and go and move the weight of the world. Been a long worth of waiting for a misery girl. It's rock, pop, and roll as we look back on some of the great roots rock bands that I loved in the 1980s that went into the 90s. Maybe something that you might find interesting. Some quick hits, some some uh, connections between different bands. Uh, that as I research, as I I think of an idea and then I go and dig into it a little bit more, you start to find stuff out that that you th- you thought I thought I knew a lot about music and this kind of genre and this era, and then you find stuff. 
There was a band called the the Dell Lords. I knew the Dell Lords. 80s. I think they broke up in 1990. Scott Kempner was uh, the singer, guitar player. Eric Amble was in that band. Amble went on and uh, produced uh, Bottle Rockets. Great uh, one, uh, an album from work with them, among other stuff. And Frank Bonero, I think that's how you would say his last name, was on drums. There was four Del Lord studio albums released between 84 and 1990. Why would you have a reason to know who the Del Lords were? You might just, like me, bumped into them one time. And by bumping into it, I mean, I don't know how I've heard of them. <laughs> I, li- I think the name made me listen to them one time. Sounds like it should be in the uh, Chevy Chase Vacation movie. I play the drums, the name of that. They had an, uh, a song, How Can a Poor Man Stand Such Times and Live, that was on a 1985 album that uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen played when he was playing with his Seeger Sessions band. Uh, I don't know, 2008, 2007. I think that was a connection where I, I didn't know that and, and found that out after he played the song and... and we found out where it came from. Carried that rockabilly roots rock sound. I think they were from New York City, though. It's funny how that works. This is rock, pop, and roll. The Dell Lords is who we're listening to. A whole lot of nothing going on is the name of this track. Just a uh, just rock and roll. That's rock and roll. That's why we were playing that because they rocked. <laughs> no hits, but damn, they rocked their little circle of the universe. Uh, those are the Dell Lords, and this is rock, pop, and roll. Sometimes I found you find music. Uh, as I was um, working at a radio station, W O R X in Madison, Indiana, great little uh, little town, nice little radio station, fun to work at, good people. We would get sent music, get sent vinyl. And for a while, I did a Sunday night show called The Recliner, which we played deep album cuts. And uh, I don't know, Sunday night, like 10 to midnight. Had fun doing it. And the Brandos were a band that I we got sent their music. And I'd listen. If it looked like something that I might like, I'm going to listen to it. And I did. And I liked the Brandos. In 87, their first album, Honor Among Thieves, the single, their first single was was something called Gettysburg. I knew it couldn't give no 
that sound originated in, in Seattle. The 1984 was when they got together. They moved to New York in 85. Uh, they were on Relativity Records. They signed with Geffen Records. That didn't work out. They ended up on RCA in 1989. So they did go the corporate route. People signed them. RCA, though, dropped the Brandos after uh, they completed their second album called Trial by Fire in 90, which at the time went unreleased. They recorded an album in 94. This is where this um, connection between bands, the Brandos recorded Light of Day in 94 with the help of ex-Dell Lords members, Scott Kempner and Frank Fanaro, drummer and uh, the guitar player. Eric Amble went on to join, join uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts as the guitar player, Dell Lords Connection. Brandos in 2017 had an album called Los Brandos, contained 10 new tracks, five in English, five in Spanish, and a song called Have Love, Will Travel. Which, another... Springsteen Connection. That was a song he was doing on the Tunnel of Love album tour around uh, this time. Rock, pop, and roll. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing wherever you, you find your podcast. Much appreciated. Cracker is an American rock band from Bakersfield, California. Formed in 1990, David Lowry is the lead singer. Johnny Hickman, the guitarist, they've been in the band the whole time. Lowry's former group, Camper Van Van Beethoven, broke up at the time, 1990. And so uh, David Lowry knew Johnny Hickman from when they were kids. He started working on some music. The first album, Cracker, was released in 92. Included a single called, uh, called Teen Angst. Cracker Soul, man, though, that was... I think that was my avenue into why I love them. Hey, hey, it's okay to make a little mess out of your life. Cause you don't need a diagram to tell you how you have a good time. But off of that first album was uh, was the single called Teen Angst, which uh, it went to number one on the on the modern rock chart. You remember this? Go cracker, baby, cracker. I haven't thought. Uh, I mean, I thought about cracker because I, I I wrote and did a little research. But I, you know, sometimes you just forget about bands and how good they were. Loved that debut album from Cracker. The band's follow up was 1993's Kerosene Hat. Then it had uh, speaking of radio songs.
up being their biggest and best-selling album. Nearly a million copies sold. Uh, that was a number three modern rock chart hit. Got to number 64 on the Hot 100. They had seven top 40 modern rock hits on alternative airplay. So, you know, not really roots rock, but I hear that in Cracker. And, and that's I was listening to that kind of stuff. Loved them. Loved Cracker. Saw the saw the Cracker. <laughs> saw them uh, at an indie music club, Birdies. I don't know, 2002. Low frills, beer, and get a drink, stand up kind of club. Couple hundred people. Appropriately grungy, but, you know, it was, uh, fine. Loved it. Loved going there to see shows. Up close and personal. Cracker rocked the house. Played this. I guess I'm happy to see your face at a time like this. This is rock, pop, and roll. Taking a listen to some of my favorite, some of what I think were the best, the greatest roots rock bands of the 1980s and into the 90s and how we found them. And maybe you might find something, I hope, that that you dig. Like the band called True Believers. Alejandro Escovedo was in that band. True Believers were out of Austin, Texas, mid-80s. Alejandro and Javier, two brothers, founded the band. First album was called True Believers. This is another one that ended up at that radio station down in Madison, Indiana, the vinyl that I found. Recorded in less than a week for $10,000, less than $10,000. The great Jim Dickinson from Memphis, Tennessee, that stack sound. Uh, he produced it for them. The True Believers on that album was a song called Tell Her. Grinding, grinding roots rock garage guitars. Jim Dickinson, by the way, his sons are in the band North Mississippi All-Stars. I found that out. There is a nice little bit of information. EMI, the record label, so impressed with that debut album, they bought him out of their contract with Rounder Records, gave him more money to record the second album. In 87, they began uh, recording that second album with Jeff Glixman. The aforementioned, who was, you know, working with the Satellites and and the Rainmakers. But after that album was finished, EMI merged with Manhattan Records. The album was dropped from the new label's release schedule. It was not released until 1994. It was called Hard Road when it finally got released. So they had two albums out. The True Believers, off a of Hard Road... <laughs> You can hear that Austin, Texas, and that more of the that's a little hard edge, almost punkish 
Roots Rock and Roll from True Believers. At this point, as I was writing, I thought, okay, we've got Roots Rock, we've got Heartland Rock, we've got a thing called Country Rock. How is it different than Americana and Old Country and Heartland Rock? And what are the differences? Where in that big grid of tastes, the sounds that you as a person really like, how does... How does country rock fit in? Where does it fit in? Why why do we talk about it now? It's gonna be, I thought it was like this elephant in the room. It's a country rock. I haven't really mentioned that. There was a song that uh, the great Todd Snyder, back when he was with his band, The Nervous Rex, back in the mid-90s, they had a song that they would play live. I even went back and found it. A song they would play live called I Like Country When It Rocks. It's Todd Snyder in the Nervous Rex. Will Kimbrough on guitar. <laughs> Why do I do that? Why do I go back and find a go back and find a, uh, a piece of music that sounds like five on a scale of one to ten maybe a four because i loved it when he played that song and it was always high energy that was a great band and i like country when it rocks and maybe that was the answer it segues into a band that i don't know if you would consider that they rocked but it is that roots rock it's the cowboy junkies siblings, Margot, Peter, and Michael were the Cowboy Junkies. This was their breakthrough song. Cover of the great Lou Reed. Love that song. That's Roots Rock. So was Lone Justice. Roots Rock, Maria McKee, Stevie Van Zandt wrote and produced some of that. Jimmy Iovine was involved. So was Tom Petty's band. Shane Fontaine was uh, a guitar player in Love Justice. Went on to be in uh, Springsteen's band when Springsteen broke up at the E Street Band. Shane Fontaine came on board as a guitar player for that 1992-93 tour. Ah, just a powerhouse was Maria, Maria McKee. Blue Rodeo was a, a band, another Canadian band that was a it was formed actually late seventies. Had a single as as early as, as nineteen eighty. Like Talk about a, a a Canadian band that and there are those bands that you know. They're big in Canada. They make it to the United States, maybe. You know, Loverboy, Brian Adams, Neil Young. I mean, there's a lot of Canadian bands who've had hits. But then there's a lot that are big just in Canada, not in the United States. Blue Rodeo 
One of those bands around for 40 years sold over 4 million albums inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. Came out in the early 80s, kind of a country-fied rock band out of Toronto. They've released 16 albums, 16 studio albums. They've got some live recordings, greatest hits album. Canada loves them in 87 outskirts in the song uh, uh, Try. So many people say, song that went to number one on RPM Country Tracks, which is the Canadian country charts. Went to number six on their singles charts in Canada and established them as a band worth uh, paying attention to. In 1992, they had a, 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 the band song, After the Rain, was the most performed song in Canada. The album that came off of sold more than two million after the rain. Thirteen top ten albums in Canada. It's kind of a country radio band, a bit. Always on their country radio charts up there uh, in Canada. Do I have till I am myself? Of course I do. Yes, we do. Blue Rodeo. They released their 16th studio album, Many a Mile, in late 2021, so still doing stuff. This is rock, pop, and roll. Early 90s country rock, Heartland Sound. What was that? What did the early 90s transition to from the Mellencamp's Petty Springsteen, Seeger Mount Rushmore? probably a whole different podcast but there were some artists that were with that sound of of those um heritage springsteen petty type artists that were hanging around and, and doing stuff in in my orbit and have a little faith in me guys like john hyatt and have a little faith in me and have a little faith in me couple of albums called Bring the Family and Slow Turnin', which were played constantly. And, and then uh, an album called Perfectly Good Guitar, which turned up the guitars. And there was a song on there that was called Angel. Y'all put that hammer down and go love's angel So you might have heard Perfectly Good perfectly good guitar the album it's worth digging into because it's it, it rocks it's i think his probably rocks more than any other album that he's put out there you go steve earl at the time was was out with guitar town and exit zero country rock xrt uh, again in chicago played steve's music and when it did 
that was the that was the impetus for a lot of people to because he was a country artist. Hillbilly Highway was like a country hit. Uh, But when WXRT in Chicago started playing his music, it was okay to think of him for some people. Anyway, I, I already did. I already knew that he rocked. I think I actually like the Exit Zero album best from him, better than Guitar Town. Rock, pop, and roll looking at Roots Rock that I loved that you might get into from the 80s and the 90s. Find something here. Brian Setzer, have you heard the Brian Setzer Knife Feels Like Justice album? It was produced by Don Gaiman, who was uh, the producer for John Mellencamp back in the Scarecrow days. Kenny Aronoff. The drummer plays on the studio recording of Brian Setzer's. Uh, you know, he went from Stray Cats and into this Roots Rock. He did it really just one time with this album that peaked at number 45 on the Billboard album chart back in April of 1986. The video for The Knife Feels Like Justice didn't feature Kenny Aronoff. His on-screen substitute was a guy named Max Weinberg from the uh, E Street Band. They had that had that Mellencamp Scarecrow production sound, um, and then he went away from it. It was a, it was his his grasp at hey radio. I was doing the Stray Cats. Now I'm doing this. That that kind of tells you a little bit about Roots Rock and where it was with uh, rock radio stations and even the mainstream top forty charts. You could have that a little bit of that sound and, and hit those charts. That's what Brian, I think, was going for. There were some bands that were never going <laughs> to, they were never going to make the charts because they were too much, they were too country for roots rock. Uh, they were they were bands like uh, Jason and the Scorchers. Well, I was just a lad, barely 22, not neither good nor bad, just a kid like you. I found them. You didn't find them on the radio, though. Nor did you find bands like uh, uh, bands like the Long Riders. The Long Riders, influenced by Graham Parsons, the Birds, country and punk. Eighty-five, their first major label album, "State of Our Union." They had a little success in the uh, UK in mid eighties, nineteen eighty-five. Off of State of the Union, the single Looking for Lewis and Clark went to number 59 on the UK singles charts. More popular in Europe than the United States. Two-Fisted Tales was an album that they put out. Ed Stasium produced it. He was a guy who produced Soul Asylum. He produced the 11 album for the Smithereens with Girl Like You on it. Um, the Two-Fisted Tales, David Hidalgo of the Los Lobos Band was, was on that album. A couple of uh, musicians from the Bangles, Debbie and Vicky Peterson, played on Two-Fisted Tales. But the Long Riders, kind of a blip 
in the uh, memory and the history of roots rock and roll in the, in the eighties and nineties, but it was a band that kind of faded like a lot of bands. They were there and poof, they were gone. They were offered a chance to open for you too on the Joshua leg or Joshua tree tour. Bodines were eventually opened for you too. Two fisted tales. The album hadn't come out. So the long rider said, nah, it's all right. You too. They hoped to join him later. Sid Griffin, the uh, leader of the Long Riders, said, We never did get to open for you 2 Not even once. It was a major opportunity blown, no question about it. He says it's fairly big regret of mine. They finally released the album. On that album, Two-Fisted Tales uh, was a cover of the NRBQ. A lot of people have covered this. I like it when anybody covers it. Thanks for hanging with us on Rock, Pop, and Roll. So we dive deeply. This one became epic. This was a long episode. Uh, dig deeply into the Roots Rock, uh, a band called the Viceroys, which had the backing of, of Steve Earle. Viceroys were out of Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee, kind of alternative country, signed to uh, Steve Earle had an album, uh, a record label called E Squared Records. This band was on there. Scott Miller, John Paul Keith, Mick Harrison were the primary songwriters. Their first album, Just Add Ice, and a song called Hotel Room. They became known not as the Viceroys, but the V-Roys. Had to change their name. There you go. There you go. 1998, they released All About Town, which is more tough rock and roll. Let's do more V-Roys. Fade away. See you later to goodbye. Both of their uh, studio albums produced by Steve Earle and uh, Ray Kennedy, known as Twang Trust, was their moniker. Want to find more about them? There's a compilation album on uh, Scott Miller's record label. The album Sooner or Later features songs from their two studio albums and some unreleased stuff. V-Roy's worth, worth checking out. Interesting about the V-Roys that I found out is they all, all the uh, principal songwriters, Scott Miller, John Paul Keith, and Mick Harrison went on to release uh, their own music, Stayed Active. This is one called uh, Jody 
from Scott Miller and the Commonwealth, which was a band he formed after uh, the V-Roys broke up. The kind of lover that can't help a while. And I ain't saying I'm the perfect guy. And you know Jody, he's a friend of mine. But you never see it coming when it's blue all blue at the Delta Hotel. Who knows what they do? Oh, my friend Jody. John Paul Keith had a great debut album in 2011. It had some horns, had some of the Memphis sound in, in what John Paul Keith was doing. And Mick Harrison had a couple solo albums before he uh, formed a band called the Paul Bearers. A little more uh, uh, guitar rock and roll-ish. Mick Harrison and the High Score was uh, another of his bands. A little slamming guitars and some country vocals. Mick Harrison, Journey's End. Harrison still releases records, uh, 2021, in an album out. Rock, pop, and roll as we look back at some of my favorites, some of the best uh, of the roots rock genre of the 80s and the 90s. CD that I think I picked up in some bargain bin someplace was uh, Mark Germino and the Sluggers. I believe they're from Louisville. And they had an album uh, that had a song about a radio DJ on it. Well, they drug him into court and the judge said, Rex, I gotta lock you up for what I'm not sure yet. But your boss here says he thinks you're wrapped too tight. But by the way, thanks for playing Marilla last night. And name is Rex Bob Lowenstein. He's a brave How's the name of the DJ? Right, Rex Bob Lowenstein playing what he wanted. Rock, pop, and roll. Do you remember a band called the Blasters? Phil Alvin and Dave Alvin Brothers. They toured with the Go Go's, the the Cramps, Asleep at the Wheel. They were on a, a tour with Queen one time. Became known for their live performances. They were a fixture in the early '80s in the LA punk rock scene bands like x and black flag and others there was also this cowpunk genre jason and the scorchers the cowpunk was around during that time dave alvin eventually quit the band for a while joined x came back and then eventually left the band played some great american music they hear that sound that voice that you have seen well it's a howl from the desert scream from the slum the mississippi rolling the beat of the drums They want to hear some American music American music And probably their biggest blast of fame Was when they were in the film Bull Durham 
They used the song uh, So Long Baby Goodbye in that film. Some uh, rockers that played country music, country music that rock and rolled, and then just uh, bands that, I don't know, bands that just ripped it up. Bands like Dash Rip Rock. Dash Rip Rock from Louisiana. Influenced by like bands like the Stray Cats and Ah Rockabilly and Rock and Roll. Band out of Georgia was called Driving and Crying. That they uh, they had their first album was released, had a song called Powerhouse on it. The album didn't do much. 130 on the Billboard 200 charts. Had an album in 89 called Mystery Road in 1991. Uh, was really where they broke through mainstream-ish. Jeff Workman was a producer. He had worked with The Cars and Queen and Journey and Foreigner. Toto, Motley Crue, among others, as a producer or an engineer, worked with Twisted Sister. Uh, he was a, an engineer with Roy Thomas Baker, who was who was the guy who had the sound, got the sound for Queen. He was Roy Thomas Baker, I believe, also was the producer of the first Cars album. But anyway, Jeff Workman worked on some some music for for Driving and Crying, and, and the song that was the the radio song for them that you might might remember when we play it. Workman also produced a, a, another album called Smoke, which was a top 100 album on the top 200 album charts. The band ended up, uh, they stayed around. They uh, supported Dan Baird and Homemade Sin, a great band that had Warner E. Hodges as a guitar player. Uh, Hodges played some shows with Driving and Crying as well. Um, Kevin Kenny has, has continued a solo career. He's the lead singer for Driving and Crying and, and continues to release, uh, to release music. When all lost talk was patience and waiting and making a statement, oh, let's go dancing. You've got Rock, Pop, and Roll, the podcast on your uh, listening device. <laughs> the Rave Ups. You know about the Rave Ups. They were originally out of Pittsburgh, 1979. Moved to L.A. for a while, came back to Pittsburgh, went back to L.A. Respectfully... King of Rain was one of the songs that some folks know. Positively Lost Me. Some folks might know that song. If 
two are deep into the genre back in the day. They appeared in the movie Pretty in Pink. Molly Ringwald was a friend and a fan. Her sister Beth had a relationship with Johnny Pedraski, who was the lead singer-songwriter for the band. Uh, Sixteen Candles, um, the the movie, Molly Ringwald's character has a three-ring binder. It has rave-ups scratched into it. If you go back and look at the movie, the rave-ups scratched into it with a ballpoint pen. She later invited the director, John Hughes, to see the band at a club date, and that led to an appearance for the band in the movie Pretty in Pink. There you go. They were founded back in the the late 70s, finally signed a major label uh, record contract. Their debut was called The Book of Your Regrets. That's what I have uh, on vinyl. They were promoted really to college radio, had some high critical expectations, but uh, never really translated to record sales. Kind of that jangle pop. I still pull the vinyl of it out every once in a while and listen to it to remind me of what that sound of 1987-88 was. The Rave Up still uh, released music. They had an album out in 2022 called Tomorrow. Pittsburgh via L.A. Rock and Roll. The Connells were a band out of North Carolina. Raleigh. Early 90s. Had that early 90s Gin Blossoms, uh, R.E.M.-ish melodic guitar rock and roll sound. This is the song Slackjawed that was, uh, it went to number nine on the uh, Billboard Alternative Songs chart. Uh, The album only one ninety nine on the Billboard 200. It's not a big album, but they picked the song off. Seventy four seventy five was a number one hit in Norway and Sweden. Top ten in eleven European countries. 96, the band had an album out called Weird Food and Devastation. Slackjawed. I like Slackjawed. I had heard that for a long time. So, uh, uh, Weird Food and Devastation. Can a guy just let it go? Forget it. All I know is that I'm not home. At least I know we had it. That's a song, Smoke. About ready to, uh, we're, we're getting right towards the end. I got one more band for you. The Wagoneers were part honky tonk and part rockabilly. 
uh, influenced a lot of bands, helped lay that foundation, I think, for Americana, lay that foundation for alt-country that came about in the 1990s. The original lineup included Monty Warden, who was the lead singer and rhythm guitar player for the Wagoneers. Had a couple of albums, 1988, 1989. Uh, they broke up, got back together in 2012. Still plays, still record. The Wagoneers acquired taste a little bit. It's a sound that was a. You remember Foster and Lloyd, the Foster and Lloyd duo? Same kind of thing. Just a blip in the radar, but I remember them. Bolo ties, right? There was a lot of bolo ties at the time. But how can you argue with that guitar sound, right? Monty Warden had some solo material, sounded very Buddy Holly-ish, which is which is a good thing to me. There you go. That's about it. And that's a lot. Heartland rock and roll, but not mainstream. You can still find it. Call it what you want. Roots rock and roll. That's what I call it. Thanks for listening. It's rock, pop, and roll. The podcast. You can subscribe to Rock, Pop, and Roll anywhere you get your podcasts. I did a little research. Look at the statistics. <laughs> I did. I Heart Podcast is where most people find us and listen to us. But you can find where, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all those, plus more. Can't keep track of them all. Got a lot to keep track of in my life. I think I did the right thing, and I think it's everywhere it should be. So there you go. Find us on Twitter at 80s Rock Pop Roll. And you can email us. Have an idea for a show. Want to get in touch with us? Email us, rockpoprollpodcast at gmail.com. I had an email from, we did a show on uh, about Pat Todd and the Rank Outsiders. And I got an email from Pat Todd. Very nice email. Got an email from one of his former guitar players when he was with a band called the Lazy Cowgirls. Very nice email. Made my day. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, everybody who shoots us an email. If you like the show, share it with someone. That's a great thing you can do. You give us a five-star review. That helps the algorithm, they tell me. Can't hurt. So if you could do that and share the show with someone, man, just tell somebody about it. Say, hey, go find it wherever you need to go to find podcasts, rock, pop, and roll. We'll be there. I'm going to get out of here with one last fact, one last song, which is what we always do. I love the Sweet Jane chord changes. There's a band called Cake. There's a song called Short Skirt, Long Jacket. Great changes that are very similar to the Lou Reed Sweet Jane. It's like they don't, nobody sues anybody over those guitar chord changes. It's like, yeah, yeah, those are the Sweet Jane chord changes. It's the way it should be. 
Wallflowers had an album, uh, I think it was their debut album, had Sixth Avenue Heartache on it, had uh, One Headlight, had a song called Three Marlenas on that album, and uh, had those had those changes. So let's get out of here with a little live version of Three Marlenas from KFOG, KFOG, which I believe is a San Francisco uh, radio station, recorded this back in 1997. See if you can pick out the sounds of Sweet Jane. That's going to do it for this episode. An epic episode. 80s roots rock. And what it meant to me. Maybe to you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Find everything you need to find at rockpopandroll.com. Take care. Be good to each other.